HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Springer Mountain Farms Chicken. No antibiotics, herbicides, or pesticides. Just pure chicken, humanely raised on a vegetarian diet. It's the natural choice of celebrated chefs. For more information, visit m.springermountainfarms.com. joining Heritage Radio Network on tour. We're your hosts. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler. And Jack Inslee barely standing after all the <laughs> eating we've been doing here in Nashville. We are sitting, still actually, on location in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> we've been sitting, we've been eating, having a great time. It's a beautiful day once again. And uh, we are sitting here today uh, at Husk. We are. After, uh, after a quick bite at Pinewood... Uh, Social, right? Yeah. Yeah, we had a little bite and bowling. Squeezed in like four frames of bowling. I actually surprisingly dominated at bowling, which has never happened to me in my life. So I just want to point that out. True story. Let the record show. And now uh, we are (laughs) at what many would consider, I think, the crown jewel of uh, Nashville cuisine. Husk restaurant. Let's talk a little bit about the space that we're in, too, because this is a treasure. I saw a plaque outside. This is on the National Register of Historic Places. Yep. Um, beautiful, beautiful house. Um, house, I guess you call it, right? Yeah. 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 1890, I believe uh, the hostess said it was built. I see a lot of um, the the paint job is really beautiful. It's like an eggplant kind of purple <laughs> and a lot of mirrors. The uh, decor is uh, glass jars of beans and uh, straw. Uh, and there's beautiful glass chandeliers. I think I see a Chihuly in the entrance. A uh, little, you know, glass shout out for yeah. any uh, Good glasswork fans out there. <laughs> um, so we're really, really lucky today that we're able to sit down with Chef Brian Baxter. He's the chef de cuisine at Husk. Um, he's fr- actually from St. Petersburg, Florida, where he learned to cook from his mom at a young age. And he moved to New York to study at the Culinary Institute of America, and he's cooked at Beacon, um, as well as Todd English's Blue Zoo at Disney's Dolphin Resort, which I think is really cool, and also at McCready's in Charleston with Chef Sean Brock. Um, So Baxter was on the opening team of Husk Nashville as sous chef, and he was soon promoted to chef de cuisine, and that's how we're able to join him here today. Thank you so much, Chef, for being here with us. Thank you for having me. 
Awesome. Thanks so much, man. We're going to do a, a few quick rapid-fire questions uh, to kick this thing off. These are pretty easy. Okay. Uh, but the first thing we're asking all the chefs, want to know what your last great bite that you had was, so literally like the last awesome thing you had to eat, whether it was today or last night. Um, I think the last great thing I had was probably uh, when I got back from – or actually when I was in Copenhagen, uh, went over there for Mad uh, Restaurant Cadeau. Um Probably the best thing there was uh, the salmon they do. So they cold smoke it for six hours, then hot smoke it, and then just kind of there's like a shell of almost cooked salmon, and they scoop out the flesh underneath, which is like just gently cooked. Uh, I can't remember what they serve it with, but it was it was insane. Yeah, that's so good. all you need to remember. Damn, that's serious. Um, next question should be fun. you got to be honest. As we speak right now, what okay. is in your home refrigerator? Walk me through it. The home refrigerator is honestly, I'll go top shelf down, almond milk, which is mine, whole milk, which is my roommate's, also my executive sous chef, and then a ton of beer, <laughs> which I don't drink, and people give us a lot of beer, so it just sits in the refrigerator for All right. <laughs> a long time. Um, so, so talk to me about your favorite childhood meal, or what comes to mind as uh, something special from growing up. Uh, my grandmother... Um, Every year for my birthday, I would make mashed potatoes, um, and then her, like, rump roast was, like, what I always wanted, and she actually would nail medium rare, even though she would eat the ends, um, but I just remember, like, always wanting that, probably would be my... Sweet. Yeah. Um, and what is it, October 3rd today, Katie, right? October 4th already? So, so just to paint a picture for the listeners, uh, so I want to know what your proudest piece of produce is right now at the restaurant. Hmm. Um, I think preparation-wise, currently, probably uh, our pork dish, we have this eggplant we do pretty much three ways. Uh, so we get almost make like a burnt eggplant puree. Uh, we also make like a charred eggplant chip. And then we take the Asian eggplants, um, peel them, marinate them for about 12 hours, and then barbecue them, uh, cover them in that charred puree, and then just crust them with the chips. And it sits on top of, like, some cilantro. So it's literally just eggplant, but it's got a ton of depth to it. Awesome. And, um, you know, we've we've been talking a lot about chicken as we're in Nashville, and that's what a lot of people know Nashville for. I'm wondering what the most interesting thing you do with chicken in the kitchen would be. Uh, Currently, we have a chicken dish on. Um, We roast it on the cage and then carve it off to order. Um, and then we're making a sauce. Uh, we actually do brown butter and a little bit of anchovy. Um, then add some sage. Uh, and then emulsify like a chicken jus into that ton of lemon. And it just, like you can't taste the anchovy, but it's just enough umami to kind of make you wonder like what the hell's in it, yeah. you know? <laughs> Sweet. Uh, we have one more rapid fire question. We're gonna move up quicker to the interview. Odetta, who's snapping photos right now, if you could come over here. We are in Music City, and Odetta's traveling with us taking photos. She's a musician herself, so wants to just ask you a music question or two okay. before we go to break. Great. How do you do, Chef? I'm good, how are you? Oh my God, that meal was incredible. Thank you. Just wanna know, who is your favorite musical artist? Oh man. You know, I have I literally listen to every genre. Like everybody says that, but I honestly do, except pop country. Specify pop country. Yeah, like old country is different, but like sure. you True. know, um, I would say something that takes me back to like being in high school and stuff. Newfound Glory, Florida band, yeah. probably. So, has Newfound Glory ever visited you here? 
we actually took them lunch when they played Warp Tour this summer, so that was cool. Get to hang out with them. Um, did you feed them personally? I mean, I didn't put it in their mouth, but you know, <laughs> uh, you know, we hung out on the bus and dropped it off, and they were about to go on, but they came back and ate it later. Did you think really long and hard about what you were going to serve them? Uh, no, I didn't. I, we just we served them the the catfish and the fried chicken from lunch. You know, a bunch of sides. If they were to come in another time, what would you put in front of them to truly blow their mind? Um, I guess it would depend on the season, but I think any of our any of our entrees, you know, we just try to give them as much of the menu as they could eat. So that's pretty incredible that you got to meet your heroes. Yeah. Through food. Yeah, it's awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, and this is actually Odetta and I's sign out. We're going to hop on a flight back up north um, so it can last moments of sunshine here. But we will be right back after this break, and Katie will dive into the real one-on-one interview here. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour. I've been Jack Inslee, and on behalf of Odette Hartman, thanks for listening. Um, We'll be right back after this quick message. This episode was brought to you by Springer Mountain Farms Chicken. For almost 50 years, Springer has been family-owned and family-run. Today, there are over 300 family farmers raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Many of them are second, even third generation. They're committed to doing things the right way. Springer was one of the first poultry companies to forego the use of antibiotics, and they've embraced other humane practices too. In fact, they were the first poultry company to earn the American Humane Association's seal of approval. Springer has also led the way in testing for and eliminating all herbicides and pesticides from the chicken's feed supply. Springer Mountain farmers know what's best for your chicken. We're into that. Better feed, better care for the animals. It just makes sense. From their family's farms to your family's table, Springer Mountain Farms. For more information, visit m.springermountainfarms.com. And we are back. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour on location in Nashville, Tennessee. Our guest today is Chef de Cuisine Brian Baxter from Husk. Um, So, Chef, I wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit more about your culinary training and your path from St. Pete's to Nashville. So originally I wanted to be a pediatrician, um, like ever since I was a child. Uh, Started, honestly, probably, you know, watching um, Emeril Lagasse and Iron Chef, the original Iron Chef. Uh You know, when I would get home, supposed to be doing homework. It was either that or trying not to do homework, you know. (laughs) Um, Who was your favorite Iron Chef? Uh, Sakai. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think just like doing that and seeing in it, you know, and, you know, my mother was a preschool teacher, so I spent a lot of time with her Mm -hmm. as a kid, uh, until I was about probably three or four, just hanging around. She would like, I think she has a couple good stories about leaving me home to run around the corner to the market and coming back and me burning sugar, trying to make fake movie glass or something crazy, you know, but. Um, I think it just kind of watching it and trying it and then I really enjoy eating, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of led to this passion for food and, and then just the intensity of, of like the kitchen, you know, from coming from playing football, um, in high school and a little bit in college just kind of led to like a natural kind of situation for me to just be in there being intense and enjoying everything. 
Would you say you're very competitive as a chef because of your sports background? Yeah, I think um, I think naturally, yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, but that being said, you know, most of the restaurants here are super cool. Like, you know, we just recently had a fire and a lot of the community came together to help us out and help, you know, our hourly employees out. Um, you know, got a lot of text messages, people asking if we needed anything. Um, so I think deep down inside, everybody's a little bit of, com- you know, competitive at times, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's a good respect for everybody here. Um, and it's a great town. I mean, the, the whole culinary scene is just starting to explode here. Sure. So it's a good time to be a part of it. Yeah. And that, uh, that fire was national news. We heard about it also in Brooklyn. And uh, we were really happy to see that you were able to reopen so quickly after that, it, partly from the support from the community. Um, but just commending you guys on... Yeah, it was, it was a quick turnaround. They made yeah. it sound a little worse than it was, but... Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's scary when it's in a beautiful building like this, yeah. a historic building. Yeah. Um, you know, it's everybody was pretty concerned, but we're really happy to see that you guys are... Back to business yeah, here. Yeah, we're glad to be back open and, and going again. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Cool. Um, and what was it like getting to New York and studying at the CIA? Was that um, a big change for you? or? Um, as I was, I've always wanted to move up north because in Florida you have, you know, about 11 months of summer and one month of spring, uh-huh. if you can call it that. Uh, so to be able to go somewhere that had seasons, you know, like when I – graduated I went to West Virginia for a year um to play football and enjoyed it but it was a little bit grayer than I expected I think Mm -hmm. the town I was in um came back home and had applied and was kind of waiting to hear back and never heard anything so I started um working at a restaurant uh in St. Petersburg that's no longer open it's called the wine cellar Mm -hmm. run by a couple German chefs it's super old school like a lot of table side carved things but I learned a lot they're just about like you know mise en place and stuff like having yeah. your prep and everything together and then when i finally heard back you had to have at least minimum six months restaurant experience anyway so it actually oh, wow. worked out perfect so i went to new york um did my externship with Wally maloof uh, at beacon restaurant um and they were shorthanded like right as i ended up starting so it was kind of like hey you're working saute in two days so you better learn it. <laughs> and I think that really helped a lot um, in a lot of different situations. Just, you know, like you could go work at a Michelin three-star restaurant for six months, mm-hmm. only brew on vegetables or something. And, you know, it's a, just a different path that it's taken me, I think, um, than that one. But, you know, it's kind of like thrown in the fire, forced to cook, and then, you know, slowly refined over time. Yeah. And... You know, I think between Bluesy that does 400 covers, McCready's, you know, we would do 150 in here, kind of in between. Mm-hmm. It's evened itself out a little bit. So is it true that you turned down a pretty fancy job offer in New York City to go down and work at McCready's in 2011? I was looking to move. I had stage at Boulay for three weeks and then Marea for a week. And it's obviously totally different than what I was used to. And I loved Boulay. It was incredible. Um, it's a beautiful kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the food's awesome. And, you know, like, I'm just always kind of interested in kind of like Japanese cuisine. Yeah. So to see, you know, what, what David do, does is like a lot of like classic French with Japanese ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then also like Hudson Valley regional stuff, which I had learned and kind of had when I was at CIA. Um, and I really wanted to be in a Michelin restaurant. Uh, I had staged at McCready's a couple years prior and it was one of the like toughest things I ever did. You know, I was, I was pretty straight out of culinary school. Um, I was helping Sean get everything together for his art, cul- I think it was art culinary um, photo shoot. And it was just shit I had never done before. I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> and was completely lost and overwhelmed. And it was like, I almost cried when I left. I was so frustrated. What's an example of something that was completely new? That uh, So we were, I'd never worked with ice malt. Um, I didn't, you know, we were making this olive oil pudding, which since I've probably made a thousand times, but mm-hmm. um, you have to melt the ice malt before you add the glucose to it. And then you're pretty much taking 65 degree cooked egg yolks and emulsifying olive oil into that. I kept breaking because I was adding the glucose and ice malt to it. And I had asked, you know, it was kind of embarrassing and hard to go three times to him and be like, chef, it's fucked up again. I don't know what I did, you know? So yeah. it was tough. And then I was like, you know what? Four years later, I was a little bit different of a cook. I had worked my way up to junior sous chef at Blue Zoo. And, um, you know, I told my boss, I was like, you know, he knew I was looking to leave and, He's like, if I let you go stodge somewhere again, because I literally had just gotten back and saw Jeremiah had posted something on Twitter. He's like, you better get the job. So went and stodged two days, got the job, and that was that. Nice. So. And the rest is history. Yeah. And I, you know, Charleston's such a beautiful city. I'd been there before, and New York's, New York's tough to go and live in and move up to if you're a line cook, you know. So mm-hmm. I think it was just a better decision. So how has working with Chef Sean Brock changed your goals as a chef? Um, I mean, I've learned a lot from him. Uh, yeah, I think the first thing I ever learned from him is always know where your produce comes from. Uh, like my third day at McCready's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know where the carrots were from, and he told me I must not care because I should know. So I'll wow. never forget that. Yeah. <laughs> so I tell everybody, you know, label all produce where it comes from so we know but um just little things like you don't think about every day and you take for granted but there's someone taking the time to uh you know like working 12 hours a day out in the sun which is even hotter than this kitchen bent over you know not the greatest conditions raising this vegetable and then if you bring it here and you burn it and or overcook it or drop it on the ground or you know let it rot and Mm -hmm. You know, you're not really doing them any justice. And, you know, I helped him uh, do some seed-saving stuff out at um, a farm that we used to use. I can't remember the name of it right now. But um, it was about 45 minutes or so outside of Charleston. Mm-hmm. Um, learned a lot doing that because it, it is a lot of hard work. Um, and just little lessons, you know, how to cook starch properly, you know, that I'll never forget. Properly cooking a bean. Um, rice, you know, probably never cook rice any other way than Charleston ice cream. <laughs> um, and just a little attention to detail stuff. I mean, I'm still learning things from him. Cool. And for our radio listeners, the um, attention to the sourcing is really, really obvious. The moment that you walk into Husk, there's a huge chalkboard on the left that has a long list of um, ingredients in the farms that they're sourced from. Um, it's really nice to see and also the servers at the table are really really clear about explaining everything about where the produce came from and how it's treated 
it's clear that there is a really serious respect for the ingredients here, which is beautiful to see. Yeah. Are there some rules that you have, other than knowing the sourcing, rules for how you obtain the ingredients here? Uh, so everything that comes through the door um, has, to be, has to come from below the Mason-Dixon line. Nice. So if there's certain things that, you know, we can't, um, can't use because we can't find a southern producer of it, uh, oftentimes we'll try to figure out how to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, fish sauce is one thing we've done, wow. uh, a lot of vinegar production. We do get like a lot of vinegar from Lindera Farms out of Virginia. He does a really good job with some really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then like other flavors that are local, regional here, like uh, wild passion fruit wow. actually grows here. Wow. Um, it's pretty interesting, just if you can get to it before the deer do. Yeah. Uh, so we got like one of those vinegars we just started. Um, my sous chef's got like 50 things working. You know, he's just always trying something. Yeah. Um, we got soy sauce, uh, wow. you know, misos and stuff, which a lot of people are doing. But for us, it means a lot because it's not just about doing it, you know, for us, because we can add this umami flavor and we could just buy miso if we were maybe somewhere where that's not like a, a restriction. But here it's kind of like, yeah, if you want to do it, you got to figure out how to make it or figure something else out that's so cool yeah does that also apply to spices and salt um yeah we use salt from west virginia um jq dixon cool uh you know spices we get from um our purveyor but we get some stuff from i think it's jefferson uh we get some stuff from franklin there's a spice market there wow um we use bourbon barrel smoked black pepper cool so you know, most of the things like that. Um, yeah, can you talk about the paprika that was on the potatoes today? Yeah, so uh, bourbon barrel smoked paprika. Um, so smoked paprika, it's aged in bourbon barrels. They're based out of, I think, Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. um, and they do a lot of cool things. They have like a togarashi blend. They do soy sauce we use a ton of. Worcestershire we use a ton of. Wow. Um, I could. I really tasted the bourbon flavor on those potatoes. Yeah, they were it's like so a good. wedge potato fries. It's super simple. It's like salt so and delicious. paprika, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, together. Yeah, I've never had a bourbon flavored potato before. It's yeah. really cool. It really comes through. So one more question about kind of um, the restaurant, and then I want to ask you another hobby question. Um, what's your biggest goal for yourself at Husk this year? Um, I think my biggest goal this year, which is probably the same goal as always um, is just to have, you know, we have an open kitchen, so it's nice when people walk by and are like, that's the best piece of chicken I've ever had, or that's the best shrimp I've ever had, or, you know, whatever it is, just to be like, you know, if they say meal, then that's awesome. You yeah. know, that even for like the, you know, the line cooks to hear that or working long hours, you know, always back there sweating. It's a big fire back there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when people come by and are like, great meal, you know. I think just for some, you know, someone to say that's the best whatever that I've ever had means a lot, a lot to us. Nice. That's all I really look for is to make sure people are actually enjoying themselves, you know. Cool. Um, so last question in this kind of interview segment. Um, I heard a rumor that you are into foraging and I'd love to know what you forage for, where you do it, how you learned. Yeah. Um, 
I used to forge much more uh, when I was in Charleston with uh, Jeremiah, who's the chef at the Dabney now in Virginia. Um, you know, we'd go out. We'd I think one time we brought in like 30 pounds of chanterelles in one day, wow. which was insane. And we were out there for a while. I bet. Um, but, you know, Charleston's a super cool climate. You got the beach. Um, so a lot of like coastal plants and stuff. And then inland with the forest. Um, so I think that's kind of like just going out and hanging out with Jeremiah and being able to like be outside um, before going inside for 12, 13, 14 hours. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I'm so busy. I don't get to do it as much as I'd like here. But, you know, like my roommate and I try to get out there every once in a while. Um, you know, we got um, trying to think the last thing we picked was um, like green juniper berries. Mm. Um, there's just a few parks here that I mean, there's all sorts of mushrooms and stuff. Cool. Um, wild herbs you know it just kind of depends uh in the summertime the black raspberries are huge down Mm -hmm. in shelby those are fun to go pick if you wear long sleeves (laughs) um but yeah it's it's become more now like you know we have a couple people on staff that enjoy doing that you know so kind of let them do it but to be able to sometimes just go clear your head i think even just walk around if you're not picking anything up it's it's important to try to find balance yeah, you absolutely. Know, when you're working in a restaurant, so. Yeah, so to find time to get outside is yeah. pretty important to you. Yep. Cool. Um, well, thank you so much. That's going to kind of wrap up our interview segment. Cool. Um, and then we have another quick speed round, really easy stuff for you now. Um, the section that we like to do now is called Big Ups. Okay. And we want this to be your chance to shout out someone in the Nashville area who's doing great work. It can be a chef. It can be anybody. Okay, cool. Uh, just one person? Sure, There's you can so do more many. if you want. <laughs> I mean, purveyor-wise, like Bear Creek Farms, we get all our beef and pork from them. Uh, personally, to me, it's the best beef in America, I think. Um, restaurant-wise, recently, um, the last great meal I had here was Bastion. It's also probably the last time I've gone out and eaten. You know, I, I eat at Martin's Barbecue <laughs> almost every day off, which isn't great for me, but... It's, it's really good. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and then I guess music shout out. Uh, you know, we had see a lot of musicians come through here. Um, and we actually had two brothers and another guy that moved up from Charleston that all worked for us here. And they're starting to do really well. Uh, called the Black Mags. Say that again? The Black Mags. The Black M- Mags? Yeah, M-A-G-S. M-A-G-S. Cool. Yep. They're, they're awesome. Um, okay, people, check Really them interesting out. sound. So awesome. check them out. Nice. Thank yep. you. Thanks for the shout outs. Um, last thing is um, selfishly for our team, because this is um, for me, it's my first time to Nashville. Kay. We are tourists here. What would you tell somebody who's getting off the airplane? What's their first stop? It doesn't have to be a restaurant. can be anything. First thing to do in Nashville. Hmm. Probably Robert's Western World. Okay. Because you can, um, it's not super packed during the day and they always have music. It's like one of the original honky tonks. And for $5, you can go in and get uh, what they call the recession special. So you can get like a PBR and a fried bologna sandwich. Do you know you're the second chef out of five who said that's the first thing you could do? I should believe you? That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Recession special at Robert's, PBR, and a bologna sandwich. Yeah. Or just water if you want. <laughs> you, a bologna sandwich is like, you, I think you have to do that. 
I mean, I, th I think that this is just absolutely mandatory at this point that it's uh, coming up twice on this list. Yeah. What are the chances? Uh, that's a ringing endorsement for Robert. So, guys, get there. I think that uh, if I have time this evening, that's going to be my goal. We'll awesome. Try to check it yeah, out. Yeah, you should. Awesome. All right. Um, so, everyone at home, you can check out um, Husk on social media at Husk Nashville. Um, reservations are huskrestaurant.com. And if you want to follow Chef Baxter, he is uh, at Baxterd. That's Baxter with a D on the end. Um, so, Chef, thank you so much for having us here today, for feeding us this beautiful meal, and for doing this interview. We really appreciate having yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. Cool. Once again, this is Heritage Radio Network on tour in Nashville, Tennessee. You can find our entire series by searching Heritage Radio Network on tour on iTunes, Stitcher, or at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio is a member-supported nonprofit organization. To become a member, you can visit heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. You can also keep in touch by subscribing to our newsletter and following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you. Thank you.